It's lovely to see you. It's lovely to be with you. Uh, as Jonathan introduced, my name is James, uh, and my wife Ellen is sat at the front. We have uh, three beautiful children, and uh, Leo is four and a half, and Noah is uh, two and a bit, and Ezra is six months this week. So we have quite, quite a busy household. Um, but uh, we love it. We absolutely love it. And uh, we've been part of this church now for about seven and a half years. Uh, we got married in Canterbury and spent two years there and then moved here seven and a half years ago and haven't really looked back, to be honest. Um, we, we really loved it when we were, where we were in Canterbury and we felt God calling us here. And uh, when we arrived, it was, um, it was just we felt like home. And uh, if you're here this morning, I really hope that that's the same for you, that it feels like home and uh, we never thought that we would maybe stay on for very long, or, but we, we, we are here and uh, we really love being part of the church here and uh, have a real heart for this church and uh, for you and for what God has for us. So uh, let's get stuck in this morning. So I'm going to be speaking out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. I'm just going to turn that on so I can see what's coming up. So if you want to get that ready in your Bibles... Uh, and it's continuing our series this morning on fruitfulness. Uh, it's been an absolute delight to take a step back over the last weeks and see God's bigger picture uh, in the scriptures for our lives. This morning, I'm going to be looking at how two aspects of God's fruitfulness can help us build our lives brick by brick. God's desire is that we all become more fruitful as followers of Christ. However, he also makes it clear that our fruitfulness is in him. In Hosea it says, it is I who answers and answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. And this morning we're going to focus on two of the areas where God wants us to be more Christ-like, joyfulness and thanksgiving. He wants to make sure that these are cemented in our lives like bricks in a wall. So let's read together uh, the passage. Uh, And it is, from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Excellent. So let's get stuck in and look at the first brick in our wall uh, this morning, and that is joy. So, joy and happiness are quite often linked together, but they're not actually the same thing. They're actually quite different, okay? Happiness is a reaction to the things that are going on around us, okay? Either by the people we're surrounded by or events or circumstances we find ourselves in. If events go in our favor, we're generally happy, and if they don't go in our favor, we're not. I'll give you a perfect example of that this morning. So I got in the shower this morning, very tired. Leo and Noah are up in the middle of the night and just, oh, nice hot shower. This is great. Getting ready for this morning. And then the hot water ran out and I'm covered in soap. And I went from being incredibly happy to not uh, very, very quickly. Uh, A little bit like this guy here. There he goes. Just over and over and over again, being happy and then not. There we go. I'll move him. Oh, oh, too far. Oh, no, back to him. Just one more time. There we go. Okay, right. When Christians talk about joy, it's a deeper, soul-fulfilling satisfaction, which overcomes, cuts across, goes beyond any worldly circumstances. 
Joy is a divine dimension of living, not shackled by circumstances. Christian joy goes deeper. It comes from the soul. John Piper defines joy in five parts. It's kind of one sentence, but it's broken down into five bits. He says that joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and the world around us. Let me read that again. Joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, in the word and the world around us. And what what he's getting at with this is he's talking about how actually our souls and our bodies are two separate entities, okay? And that stems from the fact that this body that that I'm living in, that we live in, is not uh, infinite. It will run out. And actually, it's our soul within us that interacts with our body that actually is the, the root of where, where our, our being is and what we can interact with God with. Okay, so does this mean, therefore, that as Christians, we should just constantly walk around and be happy all the time? Well, I think we all know that that just is not true. Let's have a look at what Jesus did. Did Jesus walk around being happy all the time? Let's consider some of the events in Jesus' life. Lazarus' death, one of Jesus' really good friends, dies. And we're told that Jesus wept. In the temple, Jesus drives out the tradesmen and overturns their stalls. He's come to the temple to worship God, and he sees all the tradesmen selling and making profit and money in the temple. And he's furious, and he overturns tables. Or when John the Baptist is killed. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he was beheaded. And Jesus wanted to retreat to a quiet place. He's obviously mourning, and he wants to retreat away to a quiet place. Those three, those three events tell us, potentially on the outside, that Jesus isn't happy. In these stories, Jesus displays very human emotions. He weeps, and he shows anger. So where is the joy in weeping and anger? On the surface, Jesus is reacting on a human level, but we need to look deeper at his heart. Within the Lazarus story, Jesus isn't weeping at the death of Lazarus because he knows he's about to raise him from the dead. Jesus weeps at the weight and effect of death in the world. Reading from John 11, when, uh, it says, When Jesus saw her... Mary weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Jesus isn't reacting to death itself, but its impact on those around it. In the temple, Jesus is outraged at the tradesmen making money in his father's house. Jesus is moved to anger because he sees man defiling the holy place. It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Literally, the next verse later, Jesus is healing people. His focus was not on the robbers. He wanted them out of the way so that God could be at work. And when John the Baptist is killed, Jesus' cousin, as he tries to deal with this news and withdraw to a quiet place across the lake, the people follow him. And he's trying to get away from them and kind of reflect and have time. 
And when he lands on the shore on the other side, there's a crowd waiting for him. Thousands of people waiting for him, wanting to hear from him, needing him. And how does Jesus deal with them? With compassion. And then he goes on to feed over 5,000 of them. At his core, Jesus has a deep and close relationship with his father. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. In each of those situations, Jesus is able to lean on the deeper joy he has by knowing his father. When all around him seems to be falling away, Jesus relies not on his own personal human strength, but that of his Father. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Jesus is so in tune with what the Father is doing that the worries of this world fall away. Jesus sees each situation with heaven's perspective. How much do we need that? How much do I need that in my life to see things from heaven's perspective? Can you imagine seeing every situation from heaven's perspective? When work is grinding you down, school exam pressure, university exam pressure is getting too much. The washing just will never end. It's a story of our life and our house. And this one more pertinent, the kids will just not listen. <laughs> How much do I need to know heaven's perspective in that? Let me tell you, I seriously, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So how do we get it? Well, we can't do it by ourselves. It cannot be done in our own strength. This heavenly joy is only available through the Holy Spirit. I have been so inspired in recent weeks hearing testimonies of what God has done in people's lives that his joy literally erupts out of them. We've heard people on stage giving testimony before baptisms. We've heard people in worship shouting out loud. It is a delight to hear and it should inspire us. Thessalonians tells us that we should rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. This isn't a suggestion. It's not a, oh, go on, you know, have a good time, okay? It's a command. You hear throughout the book of Psalms, shout for joy to the Lord. This is a call to communal joyfulness and celebration, to worship joyfully. Uh, I was once told about a church in Bermuda, um, a friend had a friend had been, and one Sunday they had decided that they wanted to go to church, so they had asked around and found out about a fairly lively church, uh, and uh, they were from a Church of England background, and uh, they didn't want anything too much, uh, and wanted something that was, uh, you know, was going to be spirit-filled, but, uh, you know, of their, of their level, shall we put it. Uh, they arrived in the church. As they were arriving at the church, there was an absolute ruckus coming out of the church, and they thought they were late. There was music playing, and there was shouting, and it was all very exciting. And they arrived, and they came in, and they sat down. And after a little while, about 10, 15 minutes, the pastor of the church stands up, and he says, Welcome. Let's get started. 
And they hadn't been late, so that should have been early. And so had the rest of the church. Because they were so desperate to worship God that they'd rocked up with the band to practice with them and worship together. Yes, I can tell you that there aren't many of us that do that on a Sunday morning. I myself included, even when leading worship, being here at 8 o'clock is not necessarily an outpouring of joy. Uh, But isn't that wonderful? To be in a place where people are so desperate to worship God that they're there beforehand. When we come to worship our Father, we come to give him praise and to bow in awe and to be reverent before our King. Absolutely. But how often does celebration break out in our worship? How often do we erupt with praise? How often do we shout out to God? We always hear those songs where it's like, and I'm dancing in the streets, and we're all stood there, dancing in the streets, yes, oh, dancing. I'm going to shout out praise, I'm going to shout out, yes, sing that line, shout out praise. God is calling us to a greater understanding, a greater experience of his heavenly joy, so much so that we cannot help but praise him. To a point where, if we don't praise, the rocks will get up and cry out. Last week, when we were in the worship, we were singing a song about how God is good. And uh, Luke came forward and he started to pray out and he then started to, he just said, I'm just going to shout. I'm just going to, he took the microphone away and he shouted. And I was stood at the front and there's some part of me inside that was going, oh my goodness, that's so embarrassing. What is he doing? <laughs> but there's another part of me that stood there and I went, I am jealous for that zeal. I want that. How often do I let this, oh my goodness, get in the way of, that's where I should be? That's where we should all be on a Sunday morning. We should be up the front shouting our praise to God. Amen. Yes, you're listening. Great. (laughs) So, we know that life is hard. These last few weeks have been really hectic in our household. Uh, Noah's decided that being awake, or sorry, asleep at 2 a.m. is optional. uh, And not really, she lets us know, but it feels like she wants to let the rest of the street know that she's awake as well. Uh, which has been really hard. Work has been really tough recently. This week, I had parents' evening on Monday. I was in Birmingham for the day on Tuesday. Wednesday, I had a trip at school, and it went on till 9 o'clock. Thursday was just a really busy day, exhausting day. Picked up a whole load of pastoral things that I needed to work through. And by the time I came to Friday, I was exhausted. And the only evenings that I've had at home, both Ellen and I have been working separately getting things ready or preparing or, you know, so we've barely seen each other in this last week. And it's really hard. That's real life. There are high mountains and deep valleys and our physical emotions can be so easily led astray with all that is going on around us. God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. His plans for us are good. We have to consciously choose to find the joy, to fix our eyes on heaven's perspective. Our joy comes from our hope and strength in our loving Father. It comes from a knowledge, 
that we used to live a life that was broken and hurting and damaged and doomed to fail. A heart that was selfish and proud and arrogant. And despite all of that that was cluttering up my life, God loved me. God loves you this morning. He gave himself up for me that I may know life and know it to the full. That I can have a relationship with a father whose love for me is so unconditional that he gave his only son to death so that I could be with him. He turned his back on his son, his beloved son, so that we can know him as our father again. That is where our joy comes from. It's a gift, and we're commanded to use it. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We are surrounded by a society that delights in negativity. The news is full of disaster and woe. I think the world's fascination with Trump is just incredible. Like this doom, this man on the other side who is going to destroy the earth. And we lap it up as a society. Oh, I'm glad we don't live over there. Oh, you know, goodness me. Glad we didn't make that decision. Adverts shame us into believing things that we need, things that would make us happy. A look, a style, a way of life, a diet. These things aren't bad, but we mustn't let them drown out our heavenly perspective. We must constantly remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. We mustn't let the human aspect of us, our human body, distract the inner soul from what it is trying to seek out. You know, just as John Piper was talking about that, that aspect of, you know, it's, it's, part, it's the soul within the body. We mustn't let the, the body kind of close the eyes of the soul to what God is doing. So, thankfulness. Give thanks in all circumstances. There's a great example of what Jesus considers of thankfulness in Luke 17, Uh, verses 11 to 19, we hear a story about Jesus healing lepers. Let's read it together. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria, Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. How often in life are we like the other nine lepers? How often do we return to God with thanks and praise? This quote that I'm about to show you is by far and away the most challenging thing I have read in, in preparation for this. It's by a guy called J.C. Ryle. 
The best of us are far too like the nine lepers. We are more ready to pray than to praise, and more disposed to ask God for what we have not got than to thank him for what we have got. The widespread thanklessness of Christians is the disgrace of our day. It is the plain proof of our little humility. Let us pray daily for a thankful spirit. Oh, my days. That is, that's, you know, we are more ready to pray than to praise. More disposed to ask God for what we have not got than thank him for what we have got. How much is that my heart? So often I, you know, please make this, you know, Lord, help me with this day. Make it better. You know, help me, help me with this. Help me do this. Please, let, you know, let's, let me have this. Let me do this. How often is our prayer life consumed by that? And there are some core values that should jump out of us from the story of the lepers. Firstly, Jesus expects thankfulness. His reaction to the the Samaritan tells us he is upset that the others have not returned. He expected it. It honors God. By returning to give thanks, the Samaritan brings glory to God. By thanking God for what he has done, he glorifies him. Thankfulness should overflow. He can't help but fall at Jesus' feet. He's literally so excited to say thank you, he falls down before him. Thanklessness is never silent. Never. You cannot thank someone silently. It's not possible. Either in, you have to thank somebody by saying something or doing something, but you cannot thank someone silently. So often, Ellen and I will have a conversation in the car, in the, in the car, in the car afterwards, and we'll say, "Oh, it's really good this morning." You know, you should text that person and say, "Well done for that," or "Thank you for that." How often? And then I just don't, and I'm like, "Yes, thank you, that person," but I don't tell them. <laughs> Thankfulness can never be silent. Thankfulness brings perspective. The leper returning saw what God had done for him. He knew that he would, so as a leper in the, when Jesus was in that time in the first century, being a leper was a fate worse than death. And he knew what the difference between that was from being separated from society to being, well, to being accepted again. Thankfulness protects our hearts. If we are constantly thankful for the things that God has done for us, then our hearts are filled, funnily enough, with joy. And it helps to protect, it helps to beat off the things of this world that would come in and try and take it away if we are constantly thankful. Thanksgiving will draw our hearts to God and keep us engaged with him. It will take our attention from ourselves and give the spirit room in our hearts. Matt and Beth Redman are two renowned worship leaders. They've led thousands of people in worship, and their songs are sung by millions of people all over the world weekly. Their song, Blessed Be Your Name, was written as a response to suffering multiple miscarriages. In their book, Blessed Be Your Name, they write, 
When life is peaceful and painless, the choice to respond to God in thanksgiving and praise may not be such a hard one to make. But other times in our lives, worship becomes a much gutsier decision. The song, Blessed Be Your Name, reflects an attitude of needing to focus on God and not getting lost in the hurt of the circumstances. Beth explains that the desire to have a baby had become an all-encompassing had become all-encompassing, and she had to come to the realization that even if she never had another baby, God had already given her everything she needed in Jesus Christ. These are some of the lyrics from the song. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And this bit, this always gets me. When I first sang the song, it just was, yay, you give and take away. But she's singing that with a heart that is God, I have hurt so much. You give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. So the glue that holds our two bricks together, our joyfulness and our thanksgiving, is prayer. Prayer is is our personal lifeline to God. It's how we communicate with our Father in heaven. How do I remain joyful and thankful? I pray continuously. Pray without ceasing in the good and the bad. Thank you, Lord, for my car, my job, my house, my family, for the clothes that I'm wearing, for the food I eat, for sustaining my breath. Thank you, Lord, for the people at work that I get to interact with. Thank you that I can be a light in the darkness. Thank you that you took me out of the darkness. Thank, and thank you, or help me now, Father, to be the light in the darkness. Thank you, Father, for the peace that greets me when work is hard. Thank you, Father, that I can lean on your joy in this coming day. Prayer is the mortar that holds these bricks together. We need to keep building our wall daily hourly, thanking God for what he has done for us in prayer, rejoicing in his majesty brick by brick in prayer. If we just have joyfulness and thankfulness, the wall will fall down. They need to be glued together, cemented together. In our lives and in my life, I have to say that as yet, I have yet to come across anything that is uh, awful or terrible uh, in my life and I, you know we have, I have difficult days and work is hard can be and family is difficult and having children is hard but we've never really had any real struggle in life but I hope that when it comes because it will that I can look to those of you in this church who have struggled and hurt and lost And yet through all of that, have looked to God. 
Because let me tell you something, you might not feel it, but you inspire the socks off me. Those of you who have struggled with cancer and come through, those of you who have constant health worries and pain, daily pain, physical pain, and come through, it blows me away how you can stand here and go, blessed be your name. And my prayer is that when it comes, because as we hear from James, uh, we heard from James earlier, it's coming. I hope that I can cling on as much as you have. And we need, to, we need to share these stories with each other because it's by hearing from each other and sharing real life together that we are inspired and that we work together in God. Now, uh, this isn't a message of self-help, Okay. This isn't an ABC of how we can get a quick fix when we're feeling down. This world wants to distract you with the smallest of treasures to take your heart away from the truth of what God has done for you. We cannot do this by ourselves. It is only by believing and trusting in Jesus. Whilst many people outside of the church have wonderful attitudes, I work with some lovely people and they have really good morals. But what we're talking about goes so much deeper than that. It is only possible through the work of Christ on the cross. We could not do it without being born again and experiencing the work of the Spirit in our lives. We had turned against God, the source of true and lasting joy and thankfulness. The mark of our fallenness is our thanklessness towards the God who made us. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's from Romans 1.21. We, therefore, having been separated from our Father, had no idea what real joy looked like. Only because Jesus entered our world experiencing the sadness of our existence and went willingly to the cross is their hope. He lived, a li- a f- he lived a fully thankful life because he knew God always heard him. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And because Jesus won that victory on the cross, God hears us. He hears us. Not only that, but he speaks to us as well. We can know the joy of God and the blessing of true thankfulness only through the great exchange at the cross. Can I invite the band to come up? please. We are going to worship God together. Just as they're coming up, I feel as I was preparing this that there were a few groups of people perhaps that would, uh, that I feel that God wants to speak to this morning. Firstly, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to meet him for the first time. I can promise you, you will never, ever look back. Perhaps the pennies dropped for you this morning, or you think, I want some of that joy. 
that he was talk- James was talking about. If you want to know Jesus this morning, please come and, come and speak to me. Speak to Jonathan. Speak to somebody in the green t-shirt. Tell somebody this morning. The second group is... Uh, so, Teddy Roosevelt said, said this once. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. And if you feel this morning that that is for you, that you, you comp- compar- comparison, comparing things, is stealing your joy, then let me tell you that, that God wants to remove that this morning, and he wants to speak to your heart this morning. And, you know, don't let the things of this world distract you.